here are just a couple of the many great things coming up. Men, we want to see you this Thursday at our men's quarry beginning at 6.30 p.m. Come and enjoy an edifying evening of free and tasty food, fellowship for brothers of all ages, and a practical biblical teaching that will help you in your walk with Christ. This promises to be a great night, so we'll see you this Thursday. On the third Saturday morning of every month, several Granbury congregations, including us, partner with the Tarrant Area Food Bank to join efforts in providing an 18-wheeler trailer full of free groceries to those coming to receive. So if you're in need, please join us from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. And if you'd like to help, there's always a place where we can get you involved. We look forward to seeing you this Saturday at 9 a.m. And let us sow into the lives of those in our community. And those are just a few of the many great things that are coming up at Generations. To get more information about everything going on, check out our weekly Lord's Day Bulletin, visit generationspeople.org, and like our Facebook page. We'll see you next time. Great things are happening in our city. That 18-wheeler full of fresh food. Our church was committed from now on to buying half of that trailer load every month. If there's food left over each month, it's shared amongst all the pantries in the city. One day, a couple months ago, the leaders of that effort came to see me and said, could we divert your funds to something else? So much funds have come in that it's paying for this pantry for years to come. It's already paid. Thank you, Lord. This morning, Project 44 at Acton Methodist Church is giving away 10 vehicles to people who had theirs destroyed by the tornado and didn't have insurance. Isn't that wonderful? And week before last, with our most recent check, we sent to Mission Granbury to help with the tornado effort. $11,000 has been given through our accounts here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And greater things are yet to come. The world is seeing that Jesus loves them and his people love them. There's opportunities still to serve in this area. A large crowd followed him because they had seen his miracles of healing the sick. sat down with his disciples. The time for the Passover festival was near. Jesus looked around and saw that a large crowd was coming to him. He said this to test Philip. Actually, he already knew what he would do. For everyone to have even a little, it would take more than 200 silver coins to buy enough bread. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said, 
There is a boy here who has five loaves of barley bread and two fish. But they will certainly not be enough for all these people. Make the people sit down. There was a lot of grass there, so all the people sat down. There were about 5,000 men. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to God. distributed to the people who were sitting there. said to his disciples, Gather the pieces left over. Let us not waste a bit. So they gathered them all and filled twelve baskets with the pieces left over from the five barley loaves which the people had eaten. Seeing this miracle that Jesus had performed, the people there said, Surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus knew that they were about to come and seize him in order to make him king by force, so he went off again to the hills. Welcome to Jesus Is, a journey through John's Gospel, where verse by verse, passage by passage, we are going through the beloved disciples' biography of the Savior, gleaning from these pages different facets of who Jesus is world does not know who he is and there is a real popular move politically correct move to redefine Jesus according to the likeness of our culture make him a liberal American or a conservative American or a gun-toting Republican or a uh, angry Democrat I would desire that everyone in generations knows him not just experientially, but theologically, and not just theologically, but actually knows the Lord. And so, last Sunday we shared, Jesus is outside the box. And part of that sermon was I read the lyrics to a song that Maritz Smith wrote. And I shared with you that he would sing the song to you. It was written during a time of stress. They had returned home from being missionaries to Germany for several years. And things weren't working out as quickly or as easily or like Moritz thought they would. And so his faith was being tested. And then during that time, he got this epiphany that God is outside of our box and he can do great things. And so he wrote this song, Moritz. 
If your faith is being tested or if it's ever being tested, you'll want to talk to Moritz about the story behind that song. He gives us songs out of our trials. He makes us medicine for someone else. Amen. Let's go to John chapter 6, the 6th chapter. 
of John's biography of the life of Jesus. Like Paul, it has been given to us to declare the unsearchable riches of Christ. Keep in mind, each week this may take us months to do. We're just scratching the surface of who he is. And as his body, it takes all of us to reflect an accurate picture to the world of who Jesus is. Because we're not Jesus, but we're part of his body, right? And like the many facets of a diamond, it takes us all in unity to show his love to a lost and dying world. John 6. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now from chapter 5 to chapter 6, there's a gap. That's why they put the chapter there. Considerable length of time, not a year, but several months. He's left Jerusalem and gone to Galilee. He went back to the region where he had made his home, and a great multitude followed him. Verse 2, because they saw his miracles, which he performed on those who were diseased. So they were drawn to him because of the healings. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Galilean region is one of the unique places on the earth where the elevation is extremely low when compared to sea level. In fact, Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world in terms of its elevation in relation to the level of the sea. And so around the Sea of Galilee are hills and meadows that are called acoustical meadows. I would not have believed it had I not seen it. Without a PA system, you can talk like this and be heard clearly a hundred yards away. A unique place for God to send His Son to reach the maximum amount of people before we had all this technology. It's almost like when He made the world that He's push his thumb down there. I'm going there. You can go there and see. If you ever go to the Holy Land, say, I want to see the acoustical meadows. Demand it. Insist on it. Oh, it's not part of our tour. Leave your tour and go see it. It is faith building. It's wonderful. So this is where he's at. And of course, these multitudes are gathering around him. And this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. What is unique about this story is it and several other stories are recorded in all four of the Gospels. And so if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke's version of it, you get a more complete picture of what happened here. He was teaching these people for hours and healing the sick for hours. And so it was a really long day here on the side of this mountain. Verse 4. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Keep that in mind. That is significant for a couple Sundays from now, all right? Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. A denarii was basically minimum wage for a day. A peasant's wage for a day's labor, it's probably more than eight hours labor, was one denarii. So 200 days labor, minimum wage, was not enough to give these people a snack. There was thousands of them. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here 
who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Now, Andrew is one of the most relational of the disciples. He's the one that went and got people and brought them to Jesus when Jesus began his ministry. He's the one that introduced Jesus to Peter. Only he of the twelve would discover there's a boy that has some food. Five barley loaves and two small fish. Maybe he had a lunchbox. But when he let his lunch out of the box, some great things happened. I got my lunch out of the box, but it wasn't quite the same experience. My parents were missionaries to Liberia, West Africa, from 1965 to 69. And because I was only nine years old, I went with them. And when I came back in 1969, I was 13 years old. And the same week we got back, I started eighth grade, public school. While in Africa, I went for two years, homeschooled, and then two years, a very small private American school. It was culture shock. More culture shock doing that than going to Africa. And so my parents were poor. I mean, when you start back over, it's tough. Marissa and Jamie know (laughs) that's how that song was born, through those tough days. They did their best. The second week of school, I was blessed with a Snoopy lunchbox. My mother was so thrilled that she could give me a Snoopy lunchbox. And so I went to school with that, and it was horrible. Picked on because of it and all that stuff. And your mommy give you a lunch today, you know, that kind of deal. And so I went home and threw the lunchbox down and said, I'm never taking that to school ever again. So wonder I didn't shatter the thermos. I threw it down so hard. And she said, well, honey... What do they take their lunches to school in? Well, they either eat in the cafeteria, which in 1969, that was only 40 cents. Can you believe it? Or they take their lunch to school in brown bags. Oh, that's fine. We got plenty of brown bags from groceries. So the next day I go to school with my lunch in a brown bag. Well, once again, it was a big family-sized grocery bag. Very uncool. Well, what this boy did was very cool. He shared his lunch, as small as it was, with Jesus, and a miracle happened. And that's what this story is about. Verse 10. Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, in Luke 9, in relating the story, it says they sat down in groups of 50. So he divided them up into groups of 50. Make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. The film you saw does not do it justice. That looked like scrub brush in Texas somewhere. No, these are lush meadows. It was wonderful. Wonderful place to sit down. There was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Can we say 5,000? Now, Matthew 14 tells this story and says it was 5,000 men plus the women and the children. Now, we know women are more spiritual than men. As their husband was going, they didn't leave them behind. If the 5,000 men were all married, then that would be 5,000 women. Guarantee it. Not going to leave them behind. And then children. Jewish people had large families, especially in that day. There was at least 15,000 people. Can we say 15,000 people? That's a lot of folks. They counted the men. Was that prejudice? Was that sexist? No, it just takes a long time to count to 15,000. It could very well have been 5,000 families. Verse 
11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish. They all ate as much as they wanted, bread and fish. Steve Harvey said, as the world's largest fish fry. In Sunday school in the inner city, one day a teacher was telling this story, and when it was time for question and answer, she held up a lunch sack and said, okay, I'm the little boy that gave his lunch to Jesus. What was in the lunch? What was in the lunch? And she shook it, and there were some items in there rattling around. One child said, fish. Okay, what else is in the lunch? And another child yelled, tartar sauce. (laughs) When they were all filled, verse 12, Jesus told his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. So fish doesn't keep well. So the Lord, being an economist, didn't multiply too much fish because that, that can stink. But plenty of bread. Then those men, when they had seen the sign which Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who's come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story. We thank you, Lord, that you are our provider. You are more than enough, just as you demonstrated in this story. We pray, Lord, for those here today who have needs. Thank you, Lord, that we have the assurance of you providing for every need. In Jesus' name, amen. The little boy led his lunch out of his box, as it were, and went home with 12 baskets. What a blessing. What a blessing. This isn't the first time God has done something like this. In 1 Kings 17, there was the woman that was going to eat her last meal, remember? Flour and oil. And she made a cake for a prophet and he blessed her. And the flour and the oil did not run out till the, the I guess till the end of the time of famine. In 2 Kings chapter 4 are two amazing stories of the first story in 2 Kings 4 is another widow who who needed to pay her creditors and her debtors. And there was a miracle performed through the prophet Elisha who uh, uh, by the miracle of God her vessel did not run out of oil. It just kept flowing. And so she borrowed vessels from all her neighbors and filled them all up with oil and she's able to sell them and pay her debts. And then later on in that chapter is an amazing story where the prophet received uh, 20 loaves of barley bread and fed them to a 100 men, and it was not enough. But a miracle occurred, verse 42, a miracle occurred, and they ate and had some left over. So 20 loaves fed a 100, And what were these loaves like? I don't think they're like Mrs. Bear's loaves. I think they're like pita bread, loaves of bread. And so these miracles multiplying food, uh, you can even think of the manna in the wilderness. And so on another occasion, Jesus did this and fed 4,000 
with, uh, I think, seven loaves. Anyway, we'll, we won't get into that part of the story. In modern times, I've heard of this kind of thing happening. Uh, two occasions I know of happened in Zimbabwe. One in 1977. A friend of mine from Bulawayo, Rhodesia at the time was the name of the country, went to visit family in Victoria Falls. And they had a small meatloaf to eat. And he prayed that God would bless their food. And that small meatloaf fed a whole gang of folks. They all got to eat meatloaf. And at the beginning of the meal, it didn't look like they would all get to eat it. I have another friend who I grew up with in Illinois who went to Zimbabwe in 2010. And he saw this happen. Watch this. Uh, mission site, uh, the dump, the city dump, there's a church of over 400 people. There's no fighting, there's no division, there's no strife. They all love Jesus. And that day, uh, we had reports of many healings, the physical healings that people received. And there at the end, uh, we had brought enough food for 50 people. And we told the men that there would only be enough for to feed the women and the children. And I thought that people were going to be upset, but this, this man is like the, one of the leaders. He said, that is fine, brother, if you'll just feed uh, the sick and the elderly if there's anything left over. And the men went over and they sat down just quietly and watched us feed the women. Well, my wife was helping the ladies hand out the food. And as you can see, there were big plates full. And I thought for sure they were going to run out, and so did she. But they kept handing them out, and all the women were fed, all the children were fed, then the elderly and the sick, then they fed all the men. In the end, there was 150 people fed. The Lord multiplied the food right before our eyes. And we didn't go there trying to perform a miracle. We just went there to show the love of Jesus, and they received it, and everyone was blessed. And I hope you all are as well. verse I'd really like to focus on this morning is verse 14. It says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. I'd like to speak to you this morning on this subject. Jesus is the prophet. Can we say He's the prophet? He's the prophet, He's the prophet. in Deuteronomy 18 is this prophecy that is a messianic prophecy that Jews look forward to the fulfillment of. And it's a prophecy about the coming of a prophet who would be like Moses. In fact, in John chapter 1, when the delegation of Pharisees went to see John the Baptist, they asked him, are you the prophet? And he says, no, I'm not. But I'm the one who prepares the way. And Jesus is the Messiah. He's also the prophet. Uh, another verse says he's apostle and high priest of our confession. So looking at this text here in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, the prophecy begins. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According to all that you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, 
nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. Now this story is relating to a story that happened earlier in Deuteronomy, I think chapter 9, where Moses was communing with God with fire and smoke and thunders, and it was frightening, and it was dangerous. And so the people approached Moses and said, Hey, uh, you meet with God and come back and tell us what he said. Because we're afraid of being killed. So Moses went to God, and I'm sure to his amazement, God said, That's good. That was under the Old Covenant. But here in the New Covenant, we don't need a Moses to hear our prayers and take them and pray for us. We don't need a priest. We are all kings and priests, right? Israel was called to be a nation of kings and priests, but they never were that. And so they needed a Moses. They needed a mediator because God is a consuming fire. But Jesus different than Moses, came and was our mediator and made the way to give us access to the mountain of the Lord. Give us access into His presence. The prophecy goes on. And the Lord said to me, Moses said, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. His words are serious, aren't they? John 1.14 says that God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. So a prophet is someone, a true prophet is someone who speaks for God. But Jesus came and spoke as God. He wasn't just a human prophet, but he's the son of God. He's divine. But he is a prophet, and he is human. Today we're focusing on him being a prophet. In the Old Testament, prophets function one way, unique to New Testament prophets. I believe there are prophets today, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that our prophecy in our day is edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification, it means to build up, Exhort means to call up, and comfort means to calm down. To call up is to call someone to repent. If you need to repent, if you're living in sin, you need somebody with a prophetic word. The Holy Spirit can give you that prophetic word. You need to listen to His voice. He's calling you up to higher ground. Hey, don't do that. Don't go that way. It's not going to be good. You're not going to like it. It's not God's will for your life. To exhort, call up, to edify, to build up, to comfort, to calm down. Marit's song was a result of him hearing the Lord, calming him down, bringing comfort to him. Now, the Old Testament prophets were different. Man, they called down fire from heaven. They condemned people. They were radical. But New Testament prophets do not function that way. I'm sorry. I had a guy give me a book. He wanted to come and minister here. His book said, uh, told about his ministry, said he was a prophet after the order of the Old Testament. I thought, uh-uh, not in this house. Not in this house. A guy like that visited my pastor in Grand Prairie. He says, I'm called to be a prophet. I'm to be a prophet here in this house. I'm, I'm to be your prophet. You need, you need the ministry of, of a prophet, and I'm that person. And Pastor Olin says, well, I believe in prophets. 
But let me ask you a question. Am I your pastor? No. Well, then you're not my prophet. A renegade person that runs all over the country that has no relationship, that won't put down roots, that's not known among those with whom he labors, that's not a New Testament prophet. New Testament prophets were planted. They, they were local church people. They had ministries that were effective and they bore fruit. And they fulfilled their Ephesians for assignment, which is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's time for all so-called New Testament prophets, apostles, pastors, evangelists, and teachers to return to their Ephesians for assignment, and that is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. There's far too much distraction going on in America right now. I didn't know I was going to say all this. With, with prophets making predictions that don't come to pass and then not being accountable for it and apologizing. I know what I'm talking about. I've been in their meetings. I'm on their mailing list. I get their catalogs and all that stuff. It's nonsense. And it hurts the credibility of the church and hurts baby Christians. If they're not equipping saints for the work of ministry, they're not fulfilling their New Testament assignment. You want a prophetic word? Repent! And return to the assignment God has called you to. Amen. All right. Thank you, Jesus. No. No, I don't want to spank folks that aren't here. What, what, What point is that? I'm going to act like an Old Testament prophet. That's not right. The prophecy was the prophet coming would be like Moses. There is an amazing parallel between Moses and Jesus that maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't seen. But I'm convinced there are probably close to 50 things that parallel between Moses and Jesus. Jesus survived a time of infanticide. So did Moses. We began this series in chapter 1 with this amazing verse. It says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. Over 600 commands. Now, all 600 commands didn't necessarily apply to every single person. Some applied just to women. Some applied just to men. Some applied just to farmers. Some applied just to priests. But he gave what is called the law. And the law is wrapped around the Ten Commandments. And in King James English, those commandments are summarized in these ten statements. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. How does this apply to us? Well, Christ came and said that all the law and the prophets hang on two commandments. And those commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything in you, and love your neighbor like you love yourself. I don't love myself. Oh, you do love yourself. You're just feeling sorry for yourself. Care about one another as much as we do ourselves. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. He's the only man that obeyed all the commands perfectly to the letter without violating one. He never sinned. Therefore, 
He became sin. He stood in the place of the sinner, became sin itself, and was nailed to a cross, punished for sin, because the sentence for violating these things was great punishment, ultimately leading to death. And he came and showed us how to live a better life than the law of Moses. A life from our heart. He elevated these commands to the level of the heart. If you don't hate, you won't kill. If you don't lust, you won't commit adultery. If you don't envy, you won't covet. Take care of your heart. It takes care of all the other things. The early church leaders had a meeting in Acts chapter 15 as to what to do with the Gentile Christians. Because Gentiles were becoming believers, but they didn't have the law of Moses as part of their culture. So there was no influence there. But they had the commands of Christ. All right, these guys have been trained by Jesus for three and a half years. They taught what Jesus taught. He told them to go and make disciples, teach them to observe everything I commanded you. If you want to know what those commands are, get you a red letter edition Bible, and everywhere you see letters in red, that's the commands of Christ. They're to be taken seriously. Don't put him in the Old Testament. His words are relevant for today. Can I get an amen? amen. And so they met and said, what do we do with Gentile believers in the law of Moses. And James, the brother of Jesus, said it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit. He was a spokesman and they wrote a letter, officially sent it out to all the Gentile churches that Paul was influencing. Said we ask that you observe four things from the law of Moses. Abstain from fornication. Abstain from things offered to idols. Abstain from strangled meats. And abstain from... Indulging in blood. Those four things. I think they still apply to us today. Fornication is sexual activity outside of marriage. So homosexuality is fornication. The Bible forbids it more than eight places. So Christ came and fulfilled the law and told us the law hangs on two commands. We're living in the time of infanticide. 55 million and counting. Moses was hidden in Egypt to survive this infanticide. Jesus was taken to Egypt and hidden to survive the infanticide. And then later, Moses had to hide out in the wilderness, out of Egypt, out of his homeland, which was Egypt. He had to hide out to keep from being prosecuted for murder. Moses became a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Moses had compassion on slaves. Jesus had compassion on sinners. Moses instituted the Passover. Jesus is the Passover. Moses brought salvation from slavery. Jesus brought salvation from sin. Moses parted the Red Sea. Jesus walked on the sea. Moses received bread from heaven, manna. Jesus is the bread of heaven. Moses brought water from a rock. Jesus is our life-giving rock. Moses was succeeded by Joshua. The person that took the reins from him before he died was named Joshua, which is the English pronunciation of the Hebrew name Yeshua. Jesus is our Joshua. Jesus is the English pronunciation of the Greek name Jesus. And Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. 
significant. He is like Moses. They both had Jewish mamas and they both were raised by step-parents. We could go on, but I think you get the point. They were a lot alike and are. And it's interesting that on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Jesus have a conversation. I love it. Come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden. So now every day is to be holy to us. The Sabbath hasn't become Sunday. If you're going to keep the Sabbath, it is Saturday. But every day is a Sabbath as it were to us. Our town had a Seventh-day Adventist pastor that had this revelation. And at a citywide meeting on Easter Sunday, he said these words. And when you hear them, you'll know why he was gone before the end of the year. He says, I pray there's first-day Adventists, second-day Adventists, third-day Adventists, four-day Adventists, churches in this area, fifth-day, sixth-day, and seventh-day Adventists. Every day is holy to the Lord. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. It's like this. Moses gave the law, but Jesus gave grace and truth. Moses gave the law. The law cannot bring life. It can only point out wrong. It cannot bring life. It can only bring death. The soul that sins shall die. But Christ came to bring life. He came to bring grace. God's unmerited favor, His undeserved mercy, He has brought to us because we need it. Because we can't obey the law. The law of Moses stands for those that are outside the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus, He nailed the handwriting of ordinances that was against us to His cross. It's nailed there for those who have put their faith in Him. Now you're no longer under the law, but you're under His grace. His undeserved mercy. It is awesome. But He does not stop there. He gave grace and truth. Grace without truth won't last long. It'll shipwreck your life. Truth without grace will kill you. It's right back to the law. Mercy and truth have kissed each other in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His grace. But thank God for His truth that shows me how to live. Having received His forgiveness, how should I then live? This is a picture of the shield of faith, a cross with a sword. The cross represents grace. The sword represents truth. Now, in church history, something unfortunate happened. The cross began to equal the sword. And I think it started with Constantine, who said he had a vision of a, of a cross when he was on his way to battle. And so he made that his symbol. And he said he heard a voice said, in this sign conquer, and he supposedly became a Christian. And the cross became his battle sign. And eventually, because a cross is kind of shaped like a sword, you may even have a tattoo. is isn't to condemn you. That is a cross and a short sword. And people have used that maybe as a symbol to go to war against flesh and blood. But I, I personally hold to the belief that the cross is a symbol of God's mercy and grace, and the sword is a symbol of the Word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword, the sword of truth. We need both. We need both. 
Jesus came and spoke nothing but truth, and they killed him for it. God allowed it to happen. He was grace and truth. In his grace, he allowed it to happen, and his truth pushed him into it. (laughs) They couldn't stand that kind of truth. They couldn't silence his voice, so they tried to silence his life. And so through him, we've received grace, and we continue to receive grace, and we receive truth, and we continue to receive truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Help us, Lord, to have both in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be wise and ministering to hurting people, to minister words of life and comfort and grace and mercy. But, Lord, not to stop there, but to share truth at the appropriate time with those who